Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. It's a crazy time, man. Yeah, it's uh, scary. It's messing everything up. It's taking everything fun away. No March Madness, no Keeneland. Man, we're at 45,000 cases was what I last saw. It's scary. Um, I, I tried playing it off for a long time, and now it's it's getting pretty real. Uh, mostly thanks to Governor Bashir. He's doing a great job dealing with it, but he's also, as part of that, he's laying out the facts about what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there, which yeah. is super yeah. frustrating. Right. Um, but by the end of this week, we should see like over 100,000 cases. Really? You think so? That yeah, it's doubling every 2.4 days. And if the math holds up and it doubles for 2.4 days for the rest of the month of March, by the end of March, there'll be a million cases in the United States. Isn't that what all, all this staying in and social distancing is for, though? Flattening out that curve? You think it'll stay on that trajectory for that long? Well, I'd, hopefully it doesn't. I don't think it will, but the charts I see, uh, it hasn't helped yet. Well, full disclosure, we're also not doctors. We don't yeah. really know what we're talking about. Yes. But, but yeah, it's just the information I've seen. It's well, not good. And the worst part is we don't know how long this will last. You know, the economy is going down the toilet. Yeah. Which sucks. I read I read an article that was talking about uh some people are just like, Well just like let it happen and then, you know, the people are gonna infected, but then you build antibodies and you know, we're gonna lose some life, but it'll be over a lot quicker and it won't have the same profound effect on the economy. But I don't think people realize how much life would actually be lost. I'm not I think this article estimated four million just from the coronavirus, but then if nothing's done. If nothing's done. But then on top of that, you you don't estimate okay, our entire healthcare system collapses. And then think of anyone that comes in for a heart attack or anything, just like a minor car crash injury or infection. I don't know. All the collateral death that could come as a result of that, it could total up to 10 million or something ridiculous. Yeah, so, it's pretty scary stuff. Yeah, it's, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but for the audience that works in the startup space and the innovation space, um, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, but this is actually the best time for mm-hmm. you know, a startup to come up because... There's this whole concept of, uh, you know, innovation gains market share during downtimes. So during tough times, large incumbents, the people that you're trying to replace or compete with, um, the people that have you know, been building and been there uh, are now going to move into defense. So they're now going to start working on sustaining their business. They're going to have to make sure that they keep people employed. Um, they're going to have to make sure that they just survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going into defense, like I said. And so um, what that means for people that are on the other side, which is innovation, so startups or people that want to start a business, you know, now is the per- perfect time because you can go on offense. You have nothing to lose but everything to gain. The current players, the incumbents, have everything to lose and very little to gain mm-hmm. because the market is not there for them to gain anything. Right. So the economy is just bad. Um, so right now, the, I think people that are in, you know, startups or beginning to think about starting a company need to be in this mindset of, you know, positivity. Now is the time to, you know, grasp this and, and use this to my advantage. Because um, like I said, you know, it's very well known that innovation gains substantial market share during downtimes. Yeah. Um, so that's something, you know, I thought of, you know, we should definitely talk about. I think it's kind of evening, evening out the playing fields. You know, the, the big, big guys, like you said, are in defense. They're losing money. But there's a whole new set of problems that need to be solved now. And the people who step up, those entrepreneurs that step up and solve those problems, there's going to be a lot of mobility for classes, for people to step in, solve a problem, and then come out smelling like roses at the end of this. Um, so I think it's just super interesting. I think it'll change the the way the entire global economy works after surviving it like this. If it survives, who knows what, what happens with the entire economy after this. I mean, we could go in, down a complete rabbit hole. We probably should have a little mini episode where we dive down this rabbit hole about, you know, this avalanche effect that could happen when kids can't go to school and the parents can't go to work because we take care of their kids. And then remote work can only sustain some of these businesses for so long. There's a lot that could, a lot that could go down, but enough of this negative stuff. Um, It's been cool. The one good thing that I think the one positive I'll take away from it is it's been cool to see the bipartisan effort uh, to come and come and attack this thing. I feel like not only America, but the entire world, is now facing a common enemy, and it's a very much mentality of wearing this together, um, which has been refreshing to see after the political crap that circulates normally during yeah. this time. Yeah, it's really so important for that. If, yeah, if there happen. if there is a positive from that, that that would be the positive takeaway. So anyway, uh, we just recorded an awesome episode with Terry Samuel, president of uh, KSTC. 
Um, what do you think? I love that episode. It's a good conversation. So he um, has a lot of experience, you know, here in Lexington with IBM and Lexmark and KSTC. Um, so he had a lot of things and a lot of insights to talk about related to, you know, our ecosystem here from a very experienced perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, you know, John Wilmoth, who we just had on, great experience. Yep. Uh, so it's a good contrast to a lot of these entrepreneurs that we're having on are younger. You know, they're, um, they haven't been in Kentucky as long, so, you know, they're not taking that. Uh, the same experienced approach to how they talk about the space. Um, and, you know, it kind of really shows in this, in Terry's episode, you know, his experience. Yep. Um, so I really enjoyed, you know, the conversation. He brought up a lot of points um, that we don't often talk about as far as, you know, the cities needing to work better uh, together and communicate better. And the way that entrepreneurs in the state have, you know, access to grants and, and, and fund money that they might not know about mm-hmm. and how KSTC is really there to help them. Yeah. You know, navigate that and help them execute uh, and connect them with the people they need to be connected with. Yeah, so. I hope I hope this episode, if nothing else, just gets the word out about KSTC and about how maybe somebody realizes that a grant is out there that they didn't know before because to be able to take advantage of these grants, you have to know that they're there in the first place. So, yep. His whole thing is, is as an entrepreneur, you're not alone. Yep. There's organizations yeah. like us that can help you. Cool. Let's dive into it. Yep. up everybody you got evan knowles and logan jones here from the middle tech podcast coming live out of awesome inc it's a uh, crazy times man yeah we're about the last ones here because everyone else is working remote yeah we gotta so, keep we gotta keep providing content though which is kind of kind of nice because i can socially distance myself at the office because nobody else is coming in yeah. so i'm places i'm indifferent empty. right now yeah. i miss the culture i miss all my coworkers, but yeah. it's well, nice to socially distance at the at the office and not with my roommate in our tiny apartment yeah, we got to keep things growing. So uh, we're here with Terry Samuel of KSTC, and we're going to talk about the Kentucky you know, technology space. He's got his hand in a lot of different aspects of it, and uh, we're going to walk through some of his background and what uh, KSTC does, and we're going to talk about uh, ways that the space can improve with their help. Um, so let's just jump into you know your background. Let's just start there and go from, go from there. So... Um First of all, thank you, and uh, we're, we're quasi socially distancing. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I grew up. Yep, we we did the elbow bump, <laughs> and uh, you know we're doing the best we can. But um, I grew up in Boston, uh, outside of Boston, in the town of Lexington, the original Lexington, okay. and went to Lexington High School, and uh, and then graduated, went to my state school, UMass. Um, a couple of guys came out of there named Patino and Calipari that are fairly well known in the state of Kentucky. One played there, one coach there, and uh, and I went into to school, got a degree in electrical engineering, um, got recruited by IBM. I was going to be a great engineer and invent all sorts of great things, and wanted to work for IBM or HP. And I got jobs offers from both, and IBM offered me a few different jobs up and around New York, and one down in Lexington, Kentucky, and that was 1985. And IBM said at the time, "Hey." You come down, spend a couple of years here, we'll move you around. Um, and I did have a couple of chances to move. Uh, in 1988, um, I got married to someone from UMass who moved down here. She went to law school in Boston and then moved down. And she started a career. My career is going well. And we turned down the opportunity to move. And then, bing, Flexmark gets formed. IBM spins out the printers, typewriter printer division in 1990. And there's no place to move now. Um, and uh, about, you know, it, shortly after I got here, I started going to school at night to get an MBA. I uh, kind of figured out that you know, maybe I wasn't going to invent a lot of great things. Maybe I was a decent engineer, but not a great one. And I was a little bit better at the business sort of stuff. So I got an MBA uh, through Xavier University up in Cincinnati, who used to come down to campus. And then I just had this very multifaceted career at Lexmark. I was in manufacturing. I was in finance. I was in R&D. I was in uh, service, supply chain, procurement. 
I ended up in this general management sales role uh, over this group called OEM and Alliances. And, uh, and simply what they did is anything that got sold that didn't say Lexmark on it, we were responsible for. Uh, and so I oversaw that operation. It was, um, it was, we grew it to about, depending upon the year, between six and seven hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, had a small team. We leaned on Lexmark corporate, you know, the, the, the mothership Lexmark quite a bit for, for core product and obviously back office ordering and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it was probably the most entrepreneurial group within Lexmark because we kind of sold what we had. Mm-hmm. We weren't selling just printers and just toner, and just print cartridges and that kind of stuff. We could sell technology and cross licenses and sub assemblies as well as finished product. Um, as part of that, I uh, spent two and a half years in Singapore, uh, kind of covering. It was a global job, which was really cool. Did a lot of business in Europe. Uh, did a lot of business across Asia, Singapore, and China, and Japan, and Korea. Um, so, um, you know, just learned a lot of different cultures and how different countries do business. And, you know, people are like, oh, Asia. Well, the way the Chinese do business is a lot different than the way Koreans do business mm. is a lot different than the way Japanese do business. Australia is a lot more like the States. You know, China's still an emerging country, da 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 da. Um, but, but I left Lexmark in 2016. Uh, in 2012, I was uh, asked by Lexmark to join the board of KSTC. Didn't really know what it was. Uh, I was always active in the community, and uh, and and um, K, uh, Lexmark always had a seat on the KSTC board. And so I filled in that slot, got to learn more about KSTC, got to know the board, many of the, the senior employees. And so when I left Lexmark in 2016... Actually, before I left, Chris Kimmel was the founder and president of KSTC. He asked me to go help mentor the CEO of Space Tango. Um, we'll get to Space Tango, I think, a little yeah. bit later. But um, but Twyman Clemens was the CEO, young guy. Um, and, and so I got to know Space Tango. And so after I left Lexmark, I helped Space Tango during that summer. And then Chris came to me in the fall and said... You've been telling me for a couple of years I need a succession plan. Would you be interested in coming on board? Um, so, so I started with KSTC in January seventeenth. Yeah. So before we get into KSTC and or Space Tango, you know, one question I always have about Lexmark is, you know, how did you all adapt and change? You know, the early in the nineteen eighties and the nineteen nineties, you know, printers were a big thing, right? right. They yep. needed a printer to print what they were doing on the computer. But as that changed. How did Lexmark change, and where are they now? So the where are they now, I'll kind of give you, I, I informally keep up with, with you know, friends and colleagues that are still there, but the, the, the big change for a Lexmark was there's still a lot of printed paper, um, but there's a lot of documents that get moved around. Right? I tell people that I hired in in 1985 to automate, it, automate a typewriter manufacturing line. And I don't consider myself that old, right? But people don't know typewriters. People, you know, any typewriters that are still manufactured, if there are any, sure not in Lexington, Kentucky. Right? Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to to send a memo out, you typed it up or printed it out on your dot matrix printer. You stood at a photocopier and you put it in internal mail envelopes, and they got passed around. Uh, so how did Lexmark adapt to that? It was around documents. It was around how do you store, how do you manage, how do you process documents. They could be hard copy, they may not be. The other big thing that Lexmark got into in the business environment, commercial environment, was let us come in and manage your print. And we're going to, I wouldn't say guarantee, but I'll use a small g guarantee that you'll print less pages. That you will, you know, if you let us manage your print, we'll decide what printers you have. We'll decide what software tools you have, how many you have. We'll help you reduce the number of pages printed. So that's what they've adapted to. They got out of the con- consumer business. Um, it's a, just a brutal business from a profitability perspective. Is the printers you have at home or the scanner, the all-in-one yeah. device. It's really tough to make money there. Um, so they're totally focused on the, on the corporate environment. 
Okay. So you transitioned into KSTC. Talk about that transition, and, and then we'll get into exactly what, what that is. So, um, so I came in in January of 17. Um, there was a senior team. One had left at, you know, the 1231, and I started on 1-1. Um, not that I was a direct replacement for Joanne, but she had a lot of experience in education, and she sort of ran that piece of it. There was a gentleman, Mahendra Jane, who ran a piece of it. So it was a it was a changing environment, mm-hmm. um, and pretty quickly, Chris Kimmel, the, the the founder and president at the time, um, integrated me into everything. Uh, and then what happened is is that fairly shortly into the time uh, that I jo- after I joined in in all of 2017, as we went from some budget cuts that came statewide, uh, one of the things I discovered I should back up is that. A large percentage, about eighty percent of, of KSTC's revenue came from Frankfurt, from the state of Kentucky, running lots of different programs. But we were pretty dependent on one customer. Yeah. Um, and what happened is, is the budget got cut, and then the Bevan administration made some strategic changes to move away from KSTC. Um, won't talk a lot about those, but um, but we went from a budget. Of about fourteen million dollars to a budget of about four and a half million dollars. Wow. So what I came in to do is to grow the business and modernize and do a lot of the program improvements. Quickly moved to keeping the lights on, reducing mm-hmm. infrastructure, um, you know, eliminating seventeen positions that we had on, you know, in the organization, and just sort of restructuring everything, everything we did. Wow. So what exactly does KSTC do? So I'll give you a little history, yeah. right? KSTC started in 1987. Um, I've mentioned Chris a couple times. He was the founder. Uh, he and Lee Todd. Lee Todd was the first um, board chair. And Lee at the time was long before University of Kentucky. Lee was an entrepreneur in town. Uh, he started and built a couple of businesses. Started one, built it, sold it. Started another, built it and sold it. Um, and he believed in, in science technology. And science and technology was not in the conversation in Kentucky. It just That's not what Kentucky was at the time. We had a lot of other industries, more traditional ag-based industries and those type of things. Um, and it needed to be in the, the nomenclature. Um, we had UK and UofL. They weren't at the level of research capability that, that they are today. Um, they didn't have robust uh, commercialization offices like they do today. They didn't have a lot of IP coming out of the universities. There weren't a lot of startups, tech startups in Kentucky. There wasn't a lot of capital, angel or venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so Kentucky was behind. Um, and, and so KSTC formed first more traditionally as an advisor they, they gave people a lot of ideas about things to do um, and then realized that if it was really going to be successful, it had to get into the execution mode. So a lot of what it did was develop um, and execute programs and go get those funded. Could have been federally funded, could have been state funded, could have been private industry or private foundations, very little industry. Um, one of the gaps that Kentucky had then and Kentucky still has now is we don't have big tech companies. Um, if you look at you know big companies headquartered in Kentucky, you have Humana, who's fifty billion, and after that, there's nothing above ten billion uh, headquartered in Kentucky. And Humana is a tech company today. Everybody's becoming one. Everybody is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people say, "Well, they're an insurance company. They're a data analytics company. Yeah. I and mean, that's what they're doing, yeah. right? That's what they're doing to to, to drive cost out, you know." And so, uh, so that's sort of the history. Um, we did that for many, many years. Today, science and tech is part of our culture. It is part of our nomenclature. Um, the, um, the UK and U of L are now R1 organizations. They have, they're much more integrated into the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, they have entrepreneurial leave programs for their faculty who can work part time or can leave altogether for, for an amount of time to go start a business. Mm. Um, they have um, in, invention disclosures and patenting and 
and robust um, commercialization offices. They work with the other universities across the Commonwealth. Ian McClure's done a really good job over there. He has. He has. He's done a great job. He's really increased the level and pushed it out beyond, you know, downtown Lexington, uh, yep, yep. much more statewide. Um, we have angel funding. We didn't really have angel funding. And, and KEF is a program I'll, I, can, I can talk about a little bit later, but KEF is a program that came out of, um, out of KSTC. Um, CSC, Commonwealth Seed Corporation, is um, a quasi-government organization that does angel investing. But you have commercial. I mean, Bluegrass Angels, you know, as you guys know well, um, is a very robust, for-profit, out-to-make-money organization that has made a huge difference in the entrepreneurial community in Kentucky. Um, there's a lot more startups. SBIR funding uh, is a big piece of what happens in Kentucky now. It was mm-hmm. pretty much non-existent, um, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, and I mean, we're sitting inside Awesome Inc. Right? Right. Awesome Inc. didn't exist yeah. 20 years ago, right? There weren't accelerators. There weren't pitch competitions. There weren't, wasn't support and mentoring for these startups. Mm-hmm. So that stuff is now inherent in what's happening in Kentucky. But Kentucky's still a, a, a pretty poor state. Yeah. And we're still, we're, we're still limited. We're limited by funding. Uh, we're limited, you know, our two universities are working more cooperatively than they have in a long time. Um, but there's still competition. I mean, there's still, it's, it's not a zero sum game, but there's only so much money and they have to, figure out a way to share that. And, and, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that they're working more cooperatively to do that. Um, but but Kentucky fundamentally, you know, we don't have the state and local government funding that a lot of our other states do, even our neighboring states, uh, let alone a California or Massachusetts or New York, right? Um, we still don't have big tech companies. Again, you know, you talk mm-hmm. about take Humana out. You got Lexmark, you got Alltech, you got Valvoline. You know, there's tech happening at those companies, but they're all in the three to five billion dollar range, right? And so let's say they're even spending, you know, five, ten percent on on R and D, they're they're in the hundred million dollars, hundred and fifty million dollars sort of range to spend on R and D. To most startups, I mean that just is like beyond the realm, right? But if you're going to be in the real tech industry, you know, you think of Hewlett Packard, and mm-hmm. you think of you know what a Google spends, and yeah. you know, the, the 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 company Salesforce.com. I mean, the, the company's in Silicon Valley, or all the biotech in Massachusetts. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, I talk to my friends that are still living up there, and it's just yeah. you know, there's so much money for it. I think it's a mindset thing. We, it it comes up over and over again on our podcast that you know it's it's a mindset thing, and it'll just take time for that to to change. I, th- I think it, I think it's partially okay. a mindset thing, um, and you know, and so I do think that that Kentucky has an inferiority complex, um, and that that we're better than we think we are. Um, I think you know, Logan, when you and I first met, I may have ranted for for a minute or two on on boomerangs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I hate the term boomerang. I just it, I just hate it. Yeah. Uh, and and the reason I hate it is. It, it, it plays into that mindset of, well, the only good people we can get are people that come back to Kentucky. Now, I'm all for people coming back. I mean, yeah. when I say I hate the boomerang concept, it's not because I don't think good people have come back. Let me be clear. But if your proposition is, well, you need to come back and, and pay Kentucky back, that's, and that's the reason, yeah. that just doesn't work. Yeah. If we have good opportunities for co- people to come here, grow their career, and make money, they'll do it. And it doesn't matter if they were born and raised in, in Wichita, Kansas, or Palo Alto, or Boston, or Singapore, or Amsterdam, or what. If there's good opportunities to grow your career and make money, that's part of the inferiority. So I do think we have an inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. But we also have to face up to the fact that we don't have some of the basic tools that other states do. We don't have the state funding to do what other states do. Mm. We don't have local funding. We don't have venture capital that's based in Kentucky. So we have angel. We have more angel than we we did 20 years ago. 
probably have less angel than we did five or six years ago, or maybe 10 years ago. But we don't have venture. And at some point, companies that want to go do a Series A, they got to go elsewhere. They got to leave the state, go to Chicago, go to Atlanta, go to the coasts. Um, and, and so, so to answer your, your point, I think it's, I think it's both. Yeah. I think it's both. It is, there is a little bit of a, we're better than we think we are, but we have to be, we have to face up to the fact that we have limitations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, so one of, one of the big jobs of KSTC is, um, you know, to make entrepreneurs feel like they're not alone. We talked about this on the phone. Mm-hmm. Walk through that concept of, of, of that big part of, of what you all do, because that's really important. You described it as you guys want to be a connective tissue. So walk through what that means. Yeah, and I think I think the big. So let me let me take it macro, and then I'll come down. Right? I think the macro thing for Kentucky is we all have to do that. Um, there's there's a number of accelerators across Kentucky. Do we need all of them? Maybe we do, but. There's a lot of organizations and a lot of activity that happens in Kentucky that's NIH, not the National Institute of Health, Health, but the not invented here syndrome. Well, we're going to start one up here. Or, well, Bowling Green's different. Or Paducah's different. Or Covington's different. Or Lexington and Louisville, they're both different. And so we're not collaborative enough. We're not cooperative enough. We don't have that connective tissue. And so if you're a state, that already is limited on its resources, that is better than we, we think we are, but limited on our resources, we better be smarter in that. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've been talking to, excuse me, both Ian McClure and, and um, um, Alan, Ian and Alan from UK and, and, and from UofL um, about the... the um, commercialization, kinetic uh, activities. And, and I know Ian's been on your show and, and talked a little bit about that. That's awesome, yeah. right? Yeah. Be- because I, I used to joke when I first started getting into this world of Shelbyville being the black hole, right? You're halfway in between Louisville and Lexington and things come out of Lexington and Louisville and they get sucked into the black hole of Shelbyville. Yeah. Um, but Kinetic is a good example where those two universities are now cooperating and then going out and helping the rest of the state to do a lot more of that. That's great at a university commercialization level, but what are we doing with accelerators? What are we doing with capital? What are we doing with talent development, talent attraction? Right? Yeah. And, and we believe that, that the KSTC, so I'll, I'll get back to your question here in a second, but KSTC... Because of our history, we've been around 33 years, because of our statewide reach, right? we do things you know, from, from Paducah to, to Pikeville. Um, and because of our talent, I mean, we just have a very senior team um, that, that it, it took a lot, but we retained a lot of our talent um, when we had to go through the reduction back in 17 and, and first half of 18. We have a responsibility, but we also have an opportunity to be that connective tissue, right? To really help organizations really come together. Um, so, some examples of that is, you know, I, uh, Brian Rainey and I were talking about how we, you know, the Rise the Rise Network. Um, one of the things <clears throat> KSTC used to, used to run the Kentucky Innovation Network, which was the predecessor to the Rise Network. And, and as Brian and I talked, there were pluses and minuses to each. Um, and I'll give a shout out to Awesome Inc. I think they run the best Rise Network office. And I think one of the things that Rise has done a really good job of at a regional level is force organizations to collaborate, to get connected. And everything that Rise has done here in saying, this organization and this organization and this organization are all going to work together to help the entrepreneur. Um, I think there's less coordination, both formal through IT tools and informal through just being forced onto onto, 
um, expectations of working with the other offices of that statewide network. And so how do you bring back a little bit of the statewide network that the old innovation network had, yet foster the local network that was built, that's been built much stronger in RISE? And again, especially in Lexington, I think Lexington's just done a, a, an excellent job of that, right? The university and BGA and the Inventors Network and all of that stuff, which has just been a real positive. So, you know, when Brian and I were talking a couple weeks ago is, how do we make sure, you know, and how can KSTC help do that and, and connect? Because we we have a lot of connections, right? We, we um, had, had been having several conversations with an organization down in Bowling Green that wants to be part of that. And so making sure that those connections are getting made. Um, I happen to believe, and this is just, Terry, you know, off on a bit of a tangent, is when you look at accelerators, I think you can have some that may be better connected, or, or more successful, shall I say, if they're focused by region and by industry. You know, so you may say, well, Bowling Green, halfway between Louisville and Nashville, is going to focus on medical technology. And I think Louisville would say, no, 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 we got that. Well, maybe Bowling Green's a better place for that. Murray has a relationship with Ag Launch in Tennessee. They may be better for Ag Tech. Or you might argue Lexington may be better for Ag Tech because they're close to all tech, you know. But being smarter about it as opposed to saying, you know, okay, everybody can do everything. We just don't have the resources in Kentucky. We have the smarts. We have the people. But we don't have the resources to kind of be shotgun about it. We've got to be very rightful approach. And, you know, part of that connective tissue is connecting to funds, right? And you guys connect to a lot of grants. You guys are helping those entrepreneurs find and match with grants. You mentioned the uh, SBIR earlier. So talk about some of the grants and SBIR because that's something that sounds like it's important. It is. It is. Um, I think most people would tell you I had, have had a couple of conversations recently with David Goodnight from BGA. Um, and, and David talks about you know, three things that, that need to get reestablished and re-accelerated, re-beefed up is SBIR, KEF, and the investment tax credit. So the investment tax credit I won't touch, but the other two are both programs that came out of KSTC. So SBIR, it's a federal program, Small Business Innovation and Research or Innovative Research. Um, and basically what, you know, the nuts and bolts of it is, is that every federal agency that has an R&D budget by law sets aside about 3% to go to small business grants. Um, the biggest government agency or the biggest R&D budget in a government agency is Department of Defense. They do a lot of research. So they're about half of the government's total R&D budget. But National Science Foundation, National Institute for Health, NASA, Department of Energy, USDA, they all have R&D budgets, so therefore they all set aside about 3% of their budget. And so what happens is, is a, is a small business, it can't be a university professor who's just a university professor, he or she has to also start a business. So these grants are only given out to businesses. There's phase one, which is 150,000 bucks, and phase two, which is typically two $500,000 grants. So you can get a million, $1.15 million, right? If you get a phase one and phase two. Phase one's more to test out your technology. Phase two is more to commercialize. And they're very competitive as you would expect, to get a million bucks. Um, and so there's a hit rate of roughly 20%, depends on the agency and a lot of other factors, but, a, but roughly 20%. Um, it's it's a very technically challenging, there's peer reviews and all of this stuff. And so one of the things that KSTC did is um, about 13 years ago, started sort of an end-to-end -end program. And people talk a lot about the matching grant program in Kentucky because for startups, if you get a federal grant, Kentucky administered formally through KSTC and now um, 
you know, but but funded through the state would could match that grant. So all of a sudden, your one point one five could become two point three million dollars. Right? That's a lot of money to get a startup going. Um, the but we only can match a federal grant that you've actually won. So when we started our program, Kentucky was forty seventh in getting SBIR grants into Kentucky. Um, when we f when we stopped running the program in twenty seventeen, we were forty seventh. I mean, I'm sorry, twenty seventh. Okay. So we went from forty seventh <laughs> to twenty seventh. Sorry, um, we went from forty seventh to twenty seventh. Over what time span again? That was about thirteen years, twelve yeah. years. It was twelve years at the yeah. time. Um, and and I'll I'll tell you because it, it's it, it's funny. The first time someone told me that, I was like, 12 years? My gosh, you know, in, in a private industry, you know, if you can't do something in three or four years, you don't get funded. Yeah. Right? If there's not a return on investment. The more I've learned, the more I understand. That's how long stuff takes in that kind of world. Mm -hmm. um, in that same period, we went from 47th to 27th. One other state moved up more than one spot. Illinois moved from 12th to 6th. Everybody else was flat, up one, or down. What was the big catalyst? I mean, if there's that if there's that kind of difference between Kentucky and how much we moved up and the rest of the United States, there had to be like something like holding us back. So so what it was is when we talk about so I said everyone gets focused on the matching grants because that's you know non dilutive capital into a startup. You've got to start at the beginning. You've got to get your companies in Kentucky aware that the grants are there. You've got to get them trained on what the federal reviewers are looking for, what their expectations are, how to write a compelling grant application, um, and then you can get them into yeah. a matching grant. But then you continue to network them, network mm -hmm. those those companies because you can go you can go back for another one if it's new science, if it's new new research. So what does that what's that training mean? We would bring you know, national speakers in and have them teach classes on how to successfully write a DOD grant. Um, we ran, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a real coup to get the roadshow. So imagine every branch of the feds, their research officers, literally these guys get on a bus for a week and they go to, they do sort of a East Coast, a mid and a West Coast. Um, they don't do the whole bus. You know, they do the East Coast bus, and then they fly to the Midwest and do the Midwest bus. But, um, and, and so we ran one in 2017, uh, and that's when we stopped running this program. But imagine the Marriott Griffin Gate, every conference room's filled, tables with the NASA um, research officer, Navy, Army, Air Force, Energy, um, different departments within the uh, different groups within the Department of Energy, uh, USDA, and if you you're somebody who's got something that's that's intriguing, maybe it's USDA, but maybe it's DOD. DOD funds all sorts of stuff. You know, and if you can fit, grow plants more effectively, DOD may be in this room. DOE may be in this room. Right, USDA may be in this. USDA's budget, as you can imagine, is pretty small compared to a DOD, right? In one day, you can get to all of those people. So we started bringing those sort of functions to Kentucky. Then we started up a program called Phase Zero and Double Zero. So if you're going for a Phase One, you apply to KSTC for a Phase Zero grant. It's four grand. It's not a lot of money. We allow you to get some money to fund your grant application. We give you on a reimbursement basis thirty three hundred bucks. We reserve seven hundred to pay a reviewer, a professional reviewer. Money goes to to that person. There's a guy in Arizona that we use a lot. He was very successful. So you're writing one. You get thirty three hundred. You can go hire this person or that person, or you can do it yourself or whatever. And then we reserve the last seven hundred to have it reviewed by this this reviewer. What we saw in Kentucky is when you went through our programs, you went from about a 20% hit rate to, to between 30 and 40% hit rate. Wow. Um, that's how you move from 47 to 27. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, you know, when we talked to Ian at Ian McClure at UK, 
And he brought about you know a lot of improvement in commercialization there. <clears throat> the numbers he gave, there was a huge difference, just like you just mentioned. And I said, well, what's what's the thing that changed? I mean, if you have this big of a change in uh, you know this short amount of time, there has to be some. There had to be a big bottleneck. And one of the big bottlenecks I just heard you say, which was the exact same as him, which was awareness and training. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the awareness wasn't there, so nobody knew it existed. And it, and it gets back to 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 your the, the point we were talking about before of we we have a bit of an inferiority complex. We got really right. smart people at our universities, right? And the other thing is is that SBIR is not restricted to universities, right? We gave SBIR or, or the feds gave SBIR grants to truly private companies. These people weren't part of universities, but they also gave it to people who were at a university but also formed a business. We got smart people here. We just gotta get them aware of this, gotta get them trained. There's tricks to the trade. Yeah. I don't know how to write an SBIR grant. Um, and oh, by the way, I already talked about the fact I'm not technically strong enough to write one of those. Right? But there are a lot of people that can. They just the first time you do it, you're probably going to fail unless unless you've got that training. Yeah. So to let's do a transition here. You know, okay. Commercialization um, of not only research coming out of universities, but space. Let's jump into you know Space Tango. So. Space Tango is a really awesome company in town that I want you to describe uh, in the space sector. And so when we got on the phone a few days ago, you know, NASA had commercialized, you know, space. First they did space travel, rockets, right? So mm-hmm. SpaceX started building rockets. And then they recently also commercialized the act of, um, like, dwellings in space, which was not too long ago, too, right? So basically the whole act of going to space now is open to private business. And... So how did Space Tango come out of that? And you know, talk about that that story. Yeah, so um so Chris Kimmel, I mentioned as the, my predecessor at KSTC, a uh, great visionary. And and so he saw that coming. He saw the commercializ- commercialization of space coming. Uh, getting out of everything being done by the government or governments, right? Not not just the US. Um and he formed a, a subsidiary or a, a, a you know faction within uh, KSTC called Kentucky Space, and there were a lot of jokes about Kentucky Space when it first kind of went public, right? You can imagine, you know, moonshine and over, bib overalls and, and those type of things, right? Um, but worked a lot with Morehead State, and Morehead State has the state uh, the the Space Science Center there. He made a master's in space science at, at Morehead. And uh, and Ben Alfres is the director, and Chris and Ben, you know, formed a great alliance and and started with CubeSats and putting CubeSats up. And Kentucky Space was focused on that, and then sort of hired in this intern named Twyman Clements. He was a master's student at UK in mechanical engineering, and um, and he worked part time at KSTC and got going on some stuff. It sort of figured out that CubeSats wasn't the right path at the time. You said sats, you mean satellites? Satellites, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Small satellites. Yep, yep. Okay. yeah, exactly. All right. um, yeah, CubeSats, if, for those of you listening, I'm, I'm forming this thing <laughs> that's probably, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, they're maybe 18 inches high. And yeah. you know, imagine a couple of tissue boxes stacked on top of one, one another. Um, and, and they're getting even smaller now. But, but, um, but that whole field was starting to get, had saturated. Um, and so they went a different direction and came up with this concept of putting a lab on the International Space Station. And so they built this thing called the Tango Lab. And, um, and imagine a, a, a thing that's basically about the size of a microwave. And it's got three slots. And on each slot, it's got a two-by-four configuration of tissue-sized box experiments. Now, you only get seven because it's four and three, and the last section is reserved for electronics. So you can put 21 experiments in this microwave. It's, you know, it's not a microwave, but it's roughly that size. And um, now, you can bank them. You can do seven. You could technically take up the whole thing for one experiment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you fly that up. You run the experiment. Space Tango spent um, you know, a decent amount of money building the, the interface. You can get data. You can get vision. Um, 
coming back to you so you can see these experiments quasi real time. I mean, there's some delay. Yeah. Occasionally, NASA's like, nope, none of this is commercial data. It's all DOD, military, can't tell you what it is. And they cut your data, and then it comes back a little while later. Um, but, but anyway, so for the most part, it's, it's, it's near real time. And so you run experiments up there. What kind of experiments do you do? There's a lot of things that happen in microgravity. So there's a cool one that they're doing with retinal implants. So imagine that you, you are at risk or you actually have macular degeneration. You need an implant into your eye, but you need this very uniform coating to this implant. You can't get that uniform coating in gravity. So you go do that coating in microgravity. That's a good example from a couple of perspectives because it doesn't work on Earth, but the value of that component is very, very high. Right? What will people save, pay to save their vision? Yeah. Um, so in 2016, Space Tango started operating on its own, moved out of the, the space that it had at KSTC and moved up here a block from where we're sitting onto, onto Short Street. Um, started hiring engineers, put the first lab on station in, I think, August of um, 16. They had a party that launched at 1130, and, you know, um, actually didn't launch until after midnight. Um, I was probably the only one in the room at the time, but you know, it was well past their bedtime. Everybody <laughs> else there was you know, a lot closer to your all's age than yeah. mine, um, but I stayed up late. And, uh, and saw the launch, and, and, um, and they installed the lab a couple of days later. They now have a second lab. Um, they are running pretty much autonomously as an organization. Uh, they've moved out off of Winchester Road now. They are up to uh, probably about a dozen engineers. They have a couple of people in Houston. They have one person in California. Um, you know, and they're most, they'll launch on any commercial flight. Um, putting experiments up, and the experiments are getting more and more technical. A lot of it is around bioscience mm -hmm. um, because that's the, the real thing that's an opportunity is to do bioscience in zero gravity. Yeah. How do you even go about negotiating some of those contracts to get on a spaceship with SpaceX or NASA or whoever it is that's sending the flight up to the International Space Station? I imagine that's got to be pretty prime real estate. To it is pretty prime real estate. Um, and, and so a couple of things. I, I actually thought you were going in a different direction, Logan, is um, the, the NASA stuff is, is fairly cut and dry, mm -hmm. right? And so you've got to tell them what experiments you're doing. They want good commercial experiments. They turned part of ISS into a national lab, and they want cool science up there. They want commercial, commercializable, that's a word, science put up there. Right. Um, and so Space Tango has done a very good job of building relationships with NASA mm -hmm. so that NASA wants to take Space Tango experiments up there. Um, there are times that they get bumped off at the last minute, sometimes for very legitimate reasons, sometimes for really stupid reasons. There was one time that somebody at NASA decided that astronauts deserved ice cream. <laughs> I, I, and I kid you not. And, and so we cream. had a cold stowage <laughs> experiment to fly, and we had to give up our cold stowage experiment space so that astronauts could oh have ice cream. Oh, my gosh. That's a pretty rare thing, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not picking on NASA for that, but, but for the most part, NASA wants to get good stuff up there that they see commercial. The interest, the, the, the flip side of that is how do you value something like that? Right. right? And so that summer that I, that I was helping them out, summer 16, um, we spent a lot of time, and that's, that's more my experience is, is that commercial side of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to know Twyman really well that summer by helping him with some of the commercial aspects. The engineering and science was, you know, well beyond me. And you know, I'll tell you a cute little story. I know we're going to run out of time at some point, fine. but um, so before I left Lexmark, he and I used to get together for coffee uh, about once a month. And we were sitting. At, I was waiting at Starbucks, and actually, he got there before me that day. And and I walk in, I get my coffee, and I sit down. And he's got all these drawings on a pad of paper. I was like, "Oh, what are you working on?" And he described it. And, I won't take all the time, but it was this whole thing of, of releasing something out of 
the capsule and da 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 da. And I said, so that's like rocket science. <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, I guess it is. You know, and it was just like it was very nonchalant yeah. to him, right? Because you know, yeah. he's he's a really really smart engineer, you know. And for him, yeah, it's rocket science, but that's what he does. For mm-hmm. me, it was like that's rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> We've heard great things about him. We'll have to get him on. Um, so is it a sustainable business? Are they getting enough revenue to sustain themselves, or are they still relying on a lot of grants? What's what's the state of No, they get they get no grants. Okay. Uh, grants are, are um, not something that's it's all revenue. Okay. Um, and one of the one of the shifts that they've probably done in their business model is what they've recognized as much as the government wants to make um, space commercial, Uncle Sam's still footing most of the bill. Mm-hmm. You know, when SpaceX rocket takes off, you know, that's not Elon Musk writing a check. That's, yeah. you know, Uncle Sam paying Elon Musk to fly that stuff up there. Um, and, and so Twyman and the team, the Space Tango team, has done a very good job of working what might be a private contract, but there's some government money to go push that sort of science. Uh, and so it is, a, it is a viable model. Um, they are growing. They've had year-over-year growth. Um, you know, none of us know what's going to happen now, but you know, it's kind of interesting <laughs> because NASA sort of made the point of all of the space centers are, are gone remote work and you know, just a skeleton crew there to support the, the station and all that type of thing. But they want to keep going. They want to keep doing stuff. So. Okay. Well, we always like to, you know, begin to end the podcast on a couple of things. One is how can the state begin to improve further? You know, we kind of touched on a few things there. Um, and then finally, you know, what what gives us the most hope and what are the biggest pros that we're seeing? So let's start with, um, you know, the negative side of that, which is in your own experience, in your own opinion, what, what frustrates you the most about where we're at as a state when it comes to, you know, our ecosystem? Yeah, I think I think we. I mean, we talked a, a decent amount of that, right? There's yeah. there's there's two things that that drive me crazy, and I'll just mention them again. Although yeah. I, I won't uh, I won't go into them because we've talked about them. Is is one is, um, we have this inferiority complex, right? Um, and it's kind of like, no, we can do this. Right? We need to get past that. We need to get past the chip on our shoulder, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, is number one, and Number two is there's there's too many pockets in Kentucky that don't cooperate with other pockets. Right? We have some strong pockets of talent, of strong programs, of lots of other things. We just need to learn how to collaborate, connective tissue, convene, cooperate, whatever the C word you want to use is. Right? But, but we've just got to do a better job of that. And I think... You know the 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 state. I look to the to to the cabinet for economic development, sort of as being the person that probably has the most leverage to force some of that, um, because they probably have more power of the purse um, to force that. And um, and so I think that that's important for us to do as yeah. a state if we're going to be successful. Okay. And then, what gives you the most hope? So what are you seeing here in the state that says to you, this is, this is really positive and this is going to make a big difference as time goes on? You know, I, I think probably the, the, the biggest thing is there's A, a lot of energy, uh, and B, a lot of talent. Um, and, and, you know, maybe we're at a tipping point when it comes to a little bit of this, this you know, oh, we're not good enough, oh, we're Kentucky, um, that that all of a sudden you get some success stories and you get to that tipping point of, we can do this. Yeah. You know, we've all seen, you know, what was the Hoosiers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't do this. Well, oh, we just did it. We can do this. We're going to win the state championship, right? I'm over, I'm, I'm, I'm trivializing it, but, but there's a little bit of that, of we're going to get to that tipping point where we, where we can get there. Um, you know, the other, the other thing, jumping back to this cooperation is, we ought to be cooperating not only across the state, but God forbid across state lines. Yeah, you know, there's ag launch in Tennessee. Right? There's 
there's organizations in Indiana and Ohio and Missouri, you know, and we have this artificial barrier, right? When you look at Northern Kentucky, that's Cincinnati. When you look at Louisville, that's Southern Indiana. Right? You look at Bowling Green, that's almost down to Nashville. You're closer to Nashville than you are to, to Louisville. We don't utilize that. And there are these other states that we ought to be cooperating with. So, you know, what gives me hope is, is I hear people talking about that. Right? We were on a call a couple of weeks ago with Ag Launch. They want to do stuff with Kentucky. Um, and, and, you know, and so you look at the, the Cabinet for Economic Development, you hear what, what Governor Bashir is saying, um, and, and then you hear Ryan Quarles and, and she was a Democrat, Quarles is a Republican. This stuff's nonpartisan. I mean, we've got to get past party, we've got to get past politics and just say, okay, what works? Ag launch, you want to cross the border, you want to come up here, you want to work with us. They're working with Murray State. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. How do we go grow that even further? You know, so there's there's lots of things that that, are, that give me optimism, yeah. right? Of places. How do we go connect those different pieces? Yep. That are that the cool things that are happening in Kentucky. Yeah, we're hopefully uh, contributing to that as much as we can. Uh, that's one of the big reasons we, <clears throat> you know, started Middle Tech was to get conversation going. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think what you guys are doing is a critical part. You know, yeah. and and as much as you know, and, and until I had coffee with Logan what three or four weeks ago, it was like I never heard of it. Yeah. You know? So how do we get that? You know, we're we're gonna. We're going to go make sure that part of our social media, you know, and we're going to meet a different, we're going to hit a different set of social media than you guys do. Yeah. So, you know, again, that's, that's that coordination. Yeah. Get rid of, get rid of who gets credit. Right. That's kind of where we are now. We've we built this library of content, uh, both in Louisville and Lexington now, and now it's how can we get out to these ears that may not hear us through the networks that we've been kind of circulating and we're trying to get out to the the older crowd and then the younger crowd and the students that hadn't considered what entrepreneurship is yet. And that's kind of the push we're making now. We've had calls with marketing agencies and just like, okay, what's the next step for us of getting this word out? And like you said, that's just part of the, what's needed in this ecosystem right now is the conversation around that. So let's end it with, you know, let's bring some light to some people that you think deserve a shout out that you haven't mentioned yet. So we've mentioned Ian and, Twyman and a few people like that. Who who else do you think deserves a big shout out for what the, the work they're doing? Oh man, you put me on the spot on that one. You know, <laughs> it's one of those. You know, I like to thank my parents. Yeah. And I like to, you know, I thank the academy. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those wherever you, whenever you start thanking people, you leave somebody out. Um, yeah. But um, but you know, I I think what Awesome Inc. does. You know, I mentioned Brian, and and you know, whenever I meet with Brian, there's you know, and I I sort of play the same way. Is there's no ego. It's just mm-hmm. what can we go do? Let's not worry about who gets credit. Yep. Um, you know, those organizations. You know, a, a guy like a, a Jeff Hook down in, in Bowling Green who has some creative ideas and wants to go get some stuff done. Um, you know, Soar in in Eastern Kentucky. I mean, they're doing some some neat things. You know, I, one of the things, and I digress. It's a, it's a point that I, I failed to make. I think is an important point is. Part of economic development in this space is it's not all tech. You got to play to your strengths, and your strengths in Eastern Kentucky may be different than Southern Kentucky, may be different than Louisville, may be different than Lexington and Northern. You know, it's just like you know, one 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 shoe doesn't fit everyone. That's yeah. not the right that's not yeah. the right saying, no, but you know yeah. what I mean. Uh, but but what SOAR does in Eastern Kentucky, you know, is is uh, you know some great work. Um, so. Those are a couple, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure I've like people out, you know, but, but yeah. there, there's, there's a lot of neat pockets and, and the thing is, how do we get them all connected? Yeah. I don't know if we hear enough about Bowling Green. I think there's, you know, some work we can do to better bring more light to Bowling Green. Yeah. I feel like when you think of Kentucky, you think of Louisville, Lexington, but there's Owensboro, Bowling Green. I mean, stuff in my hometown. Has, yeah. E-Town, <laughs> Ashland. I mean, yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things that you kind of hit on is, you know, we like to, we like to divide ourselves off and, okay, we're part of Lexington. Okay. We're part of Louisville. Okay. We're part of Kentucky. And the more the, you, the triangle, we talk yeah, about the triangle, the golden right? triangle. Well, yeah. a whole lot you know, is not in the triangle, right? E-Town's got some good stuff going. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. There's yeah. smart people all over the place. And the more we break down those barriers and don't try to just niche ourselves down into one, one place, but, 
go around and talk to everyone. That's and you know a, a shout out to what what Logan's doing, right? I met Logan because Brian said, "Hey, go meet with with Terry and find out about what KSTC is doing." That directory you're putting together, yeah, right? that's an important tool. Absolutely. And again, it's it's oh well, I'll only do this if I get credit. No, then you're out. That was right. the that was the whole thing. He was like, "We're not going to wait to figure out." Who gets credit for this? We're just going right. to do it and put it out for the community. Yeah, right. and it's not—it's not even Awesome Inc. branded. Uh, even though Awesome Inc. is putting their time and resources to it, it's not an Awesome Inc. yearbook directory, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and I think that's the coolest thing. It's the give first mentality. We just want to create a resource for the community. Yes, exactly. That's what, that's what is needed. Yep. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do here as well. So, thank you so much for joining, Terry. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right, see you guys.